0: As we continue our sermon series, Commissioned, talking about our faith and work, open your Bible on your phone, on your Uversion app, or your physical Bible, right, you, yeah, right, to um, John chapter 4, we'll be in John chapter 4, so there you go. starting about midway through verse 6 with the word Jesus, amen, that's, that's where we're starting today. And I'm reading from the CSB where it says, Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him, and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket, and the well is deep. So where do you get this Living water. You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water, springing up in him for eternal life. I want to work backwards through this passage with us today to talk about becoming a well, as Jesus says here in verse 14. He will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. And specifically becoming a well or a fountain in your place of work. I'm going to pray. Lord God, we love you, and we just praise your holy name, Lord. We hunger and we thirst for you, for your goodness, for your righteousness, for your nourishment, Lord God, because it is in your son Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you nourish our souls forever, God. And so we, we hunger and we thirst for you, O oh Lord, this morning as we sing and as we pray and as we speak and as we listen and as we greet, Lord God, would we do so hungering and and expecting for you, for you to work, for you to be our source of sustenance. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. So I was a Christian for two years, something like that, and I was in college. So I actually came to faith in college, which is a wild place to convert to Christianity. And uh, so I did not grow up in the church. And I remember being in college, came to faith, and toward the end of my undergrad, I uh, wasn't playing sports or anything, but I got a full-time job at a GNC. Has anyone ever stepped foot? In that? Right. The General Nutrition Center stores with the red letters. Yes, yeah, so I was the proud store manager <laughs> of store number 686, you know? and so which a lot of people don't know is like a commission sales job, weirdly enough. I don't know why, but, but it is. And so I was a store manager there and I was just, again, new to my faith and trying to figure out, okay, I'm hearing and I'm going to church and I'm learning that there's this Jesus guy who's also God that I'm now le- trying to like, leverage my life on and in every sphere of life. And I couldn't quite figure out what that meant about my work though. And so... I really took on what I would call an unhealthy view of my work where I just thought, you know, my work must not be of that much value to God. Like It it can't be that God wants with my life to just be over here slinging pills in the store. (laughs) And And so I was like, that can't be it. But how do I make this glorifying to him then? And I was like, oh, I know. When people come into the store, I'll just like evangelize them. And share, I'll share the gospel with them explicitly and even pray. And then, then my work will be glorifying their God, right? So I'm obviously a pastor now, so you can see where that led me. But So this woman came in about this time of year. Because, you know, this time of the year is the time people come into GNCs. Because we're all thinking about the work we did or did not do to prepare for pool and beach season. And so she came in. Just looking for some protein to supplement some meals, right, Springtime, almost summertime, And I asked her a couple of consultative questions, but then, you know, I'm searching for a prayer moment, you know what I'm saying, I'm searching for a... And so she said something that I thought was like a prayer request, I was like, do you mind, do you mind if I, if I just pray for you right now? And she was like, like, like right, right, right here right now? And I was like, yeah. And then she, she giggled awkwardly, and was like, okay, and I just put my hand on her shoulder, and I prayed, and she looked up with tears in her eyes, so I thought the prayer was pretty effective, right, and so she said, thank you, and then just walked out the store, and um, she never came back, you know, she never, she did not come back, and so I, I I will never figure out why she never came back, but I would guess, I would just guess, you know. That um, it might have something to do with the fact that she came in looking for protein and all she got was some prayer. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> she's like, I, <laughs> I walked into GNC to get some diet pills and this man tried to make me a pupil of the Lord. Like, what is going? Where am I and how did I get here? How did I get here? And uh, so the next time she wants protein, she's not coming back here. Um, Man. And so I was living on this one extreme where I didn't see value in my work. I didn't understand that there was this God-given potential in my work waiting to be drawn out, that I was supposed to become, become a well at work. And then there's this other extreme where some of us might live on that just completely separates our faith from our work altogether. It's just like, you know, you know, this faith is something I do over here, work is something I do over here. You know what I'm saying? The two, they're just far apart. And then a lot of us are living in between these two extremes, just trying to figure out what, like we hear you, but like what does God want me to do at work specifically? Like can you be specific? Like what am I, how do I glorify God at work? What does God want for me at work? And what does he want from me at work, if anything at all? And I think we begin to answer that question again here in verse 14 when Jesus says, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. And here's the important part in this message. The water I give him will become a well. Jesus, in Jesus, we are called to become like wells at work. Or better yet, a fountain. Because not many of us have wells in our offices, but I bet you everybody here has a, who has an office has a water fountain in that office. It might be like the little gym one with LK on it. It might be a little bit more fancy. I don't know. And I remember I, I worked at this <laughs> office that had like a super fancy water fountain in the the kitchen, I remember just being like mind-blown when I first used it. You just like have to handle it very delicately, and it has like four different settings of types of water on it. I didn't even know there were that many types of water. And... But yes, yeah, so whether your fountain is, is fancy or not, you can probably envision what the, where the water fountain is in your office and what it looks like. But what, what's happening here is when we know the love of God when we know the love of God for us, specifically in Jesus Christ, that God gave his son on a cross and resurrected from the dead on our behalf, when that truth truly captures our heart, it turns us into a fountain in our lives and especially in our work. So Jesus calls us to, Become a well, become a fountain of uh, become a fountain that His living water can flow through at your job. So see Jesus at your job, and a couple things about fountains. Fountains don't chase, right? Like fountains sit in one spot. You know where the fountain is. It doesn't come off the wall and come find you. Like, do you need a drink of water? No, but people come back to the fountain over and over and over again because they know that the fountain has what they need. It has something they need to survive. And they know for sure that the fountain will give it to them graciously and without charge. But also, fountains don't hide. You know, good interior design is such that when you put something in an office, right, and that that's very necessary that everybody needs. It will be very easy to find. It will be out in the open, right? We do not hide our light underneath the light stand. No, 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 we put it on, on top because it's what people need. We need the light emanating. And likewise with a fountain, the fountain needs to be out in the open and, and very obvious. But then also, interestingly, fountains are not very useful aside from them being connected to an ever-flowing source of water. Like You can take a fountain off of a wall and just sit it on the floor and press the buttons all you want. It won't give you anything. And so likewise us at work we need to stay connected to the source we shouldn't be chasing but we also shouldn't be hiding and two specific ways you can do this at work Again I can't tell you all of your job titles sitting in all the job titles sitting in this room right now I can tell some of you all cuz I've talked to you but I can tell you these two things are almost applicable in every single job That is, you work with conviction and you work with excellence. Work with conviction, that is, honoring the convictions of Jesus Christ, honoring your biblical convictions at work and after work, and working with excellence. But you know, there are so many reasons I know I myself have not done these things in the past. And Jeremiah 2.13 puts it this way. It says, for my people have committed a double evil. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. You see, we have substituted The well, the fountain of living water. Jesus identifies himself as the fountain of living water. Jeremiah 2 is talking about here. As God himself. But with our other interpretations in between the extremes or at the extremes, we take up broken cisterns instead. And again, I told you my broken cistern that I used to operate with, which is this like piety... It's just righteousness, this, this you know, my job, my job is like a secular thing. And really, you know, Jesus is calling me to be righteous, amen. And so I'm just going to go in and do that. But when we do that, a lot of times we can use Christianity and, and the Bible and, and things like that to our moral code to just not do a good job at work. Like the lady came in for protein and I didn't sell her any protein. I didn't do my job. That's not glorifying to God. That I just neglected my post. Piety. Or maybe for some people it's privacy. I get this a lot as I counsel people in their careers and especially talking when we get to talking about integrating their faith at work, some privacy. This This lie that really is a my generation thing that we just want to separate. Oh, you know, my faith is a private thing, right? I keep all my familial matters at home, and I keep my work at work, and I just try to never let the two cross the boundaries that I've set up. That's just what I, how I was raised, you know? And again, th- there was this report that Pastor Aswan sent me this past week that showed that, again, it's a millennial thing. More than Gen Z, more than uh, baby boomers, more than Gen X, we have statistically been proven to to, to believe that sharing our faith is wrong because it's intrusive. And so we just, I'm not going to mix the two. But I just, I wonder where in the Bible it says that our faith is private. I haven't seen it. I've read it a few times. And should people be surprised when they find out you are a Christian? <laughs> right, like, because it's not possible for you to not bring your whole self to work. And when it inevitably comes out, will they be like, oh, okay. Oh, you? Wow. I, I didn't. That's what's up. That, that, that's what's up. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Because that's not a good response. <laughs> that means we're not working with conviction. Instead, we're working with Privacy. Or maybe it's pride. I hear this one a lot too. Pride can keep us from working with conviction. Oh, you know what? B, I get it, but you got to understand, I've made it so far in my career. I'm at the top of the corporate ladder, and I've gotten there seemingly without God, certainly without any moral code. Why would I start now? Like, what are you talking about? Like, I've done very, very well. This thing has worked for me. I'm saying tell a little, I'm saying a little white lie over here. Do it. This has worked well. Or even just working very honestly and earnestly without. Like, I'm not thinking about God at work. I'm thinking about code. What are you talking about? But see, that's the same dilemma that the woman at the well has in verse 12. When she says, you aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well to drink from and drank from it himself. See, what she's talking about is, is this abundance that she has. Because Jacob, if you don't know who that is, is a biblical figure talked about in the Old Testament. And Jacob lived hundreds of years before this moment. And so what she's saying is, sir, I am, sta- I am now standing at a well, an actual well that has fed hundreds of thousands of families for hundreds of years. But you, the tired, thirsty man over here, Is telling me that you have a source that is more abundant than what I already have before me? How can that be? Where is this living water you speak of? I have abundance already. 1 Corinthians 4 7, though, what do you have that you did not receive? What do you really have that? What do you really have that has not come from God Himself? And isn't that the gospel? <laughs> that God, in His graciousness and His mercy, takes the things we think have worked out real well for us, and shows us, in Jesus, He is a much better alternative. In Jesus, you will not be left thirsty again. Put down the broken cistern. And then another one is just a paycheck. I get this one a lot too. Like, yeah, y'all been just overthinking the whole Faith at Work series. Like, oh my gosh. Like, (laughs) we get it. (laughs) You're just taking it too far. I'm just here so I won't get fined. Amen. I'm just here to earn money because this is a good job. I've always wanted to go to this career because it makes money and or it has influence. And then it it enables me to do the things I really want to do. I really just wanted this job because it travels and connects me with the types of people I like to be connected with. Or I really just do this job because it gets me the money that I want to be able to go to Dubai every now and then. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's really what I want to do. That's really all I want to do. It's just Travel or whatever it might be for you, really the work is just a means to get that. It's just a paycheck. And I would challenge you. Romans 4.4 4 does say that that is a biblical thought. It's just an incomplete thought. Romans 4.4 4 says that our wages are not a gift, but they're our due. So you, you're right. You, you are due wages for your work but you can't reduce the value of your work to the name on your paycheck or the amount of your paycheck. And I can show you this way, it's not universally applicable. How do we encourage the people who are experiencing joblessness among us if the value of their work is only tied to what they earn? They're doing a lot of hard work. Application after application, after cover letter after cover. Who likes writing cover letters? After interview after interview. Three interviews in, ghosted. Hard work. Does, is that work not of value because it's not earning anything? Or what about the stay-at-home mom? Working mad hard and getting paid in tears. Is their work not of value? Or stay-at-home dad, let's be fair. Right, we have these other occupations. What about students? Student is a crazy, I love to study, so I'm not shaming students, but like, you're paying to do work. Like, not only are you not making money. I heard scam out here, whoa. I'm not gonna affirm or deny. Take it what you will. But that's crazy if you think about it. Like I'm paying you to give me work. Very, very difficult work. And then try to tear me apart. No, let me not. (coughs) For that work. um, But that's difficult work. Is that work not of value? Surely you wouldn't say that. Surely as I asked you this question, all of you are saying, yes, of course. That work is of value. Well, if that work is of value and it earns no money, then how is the amount of money you earn equivalent to the value of your work? That cannot be. That is a broken cistern. And I wonder why we do these things. And I think it makes me think about this restaurant that was started in Dallas, Texas. That's called Dick's Last Resort. And it's... (laughs) Maybe you've been there. And so it's this restaurant. And its it's whole shtick is that it just promises to give you the most rude, sarcastic restaurant experiences you've ever had. And so it's supposed to be funny. So this is not a knock on their company idea. It's obviously working. They have 13 locations throughout the country. Uh, One interesting thing, though, of all 13 locations, none of them are in the Northeast. So... (laughs) because the rude service wouldn't be unique, no, let me, nah, let me, oh, <laughs> no, 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 seriously, I think it's because we, we would take it too far, like, it would go left, it would really go left, like, somebody walking there, like, just on a whim, don't know what's going on, and be like, hey, yo, I'm really not playing with you, bro, like, like I'm really not, <laughs> I'm not wit what you wit, though. like, it's not, it's not a joke, right? But like, why do we like stuff like that? Like to go pay, to be treated rudely. And, and I, think, I think the concept is this, that when we are familiar with what's unhealthy, we grow an appetite for what's unhealthy. When we're familiar with the toxicity of broken cisterns, we grow an appetite for broken cisterns instead of the living water that Jesus has his hand out handing you put down the broken cisterns. Jesus calls us away from these broken cisterns and and to the true fountain, as Jeremiah 13 says. He calls us then also to become a fountain. And again, he calls us to become a fountain by two things, working with conviction and working with excellence. So how do we do that? Working with conviction. Right. If, if you truly first, if you truly trust Jesus as a good God and not just a good guide, then we become a well in every area of our lives. He is Lord over every area of our lives, and especially the area of our lives we spend the most of our waking hours in, which is work. If he's a good God and not just a good guide. then we'll be propelled to work with conviction. We'll be propelled to work with conviction. And I have to say this too. In, In verse 10, we see that, where it says, Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God, and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him, and he would give you living water. If you knew, you would be if you knew, it, it, it first starts working with conviction, starts with knowing who God is in our lives. The God who quenches our true thirst forever, graciously, and without payment. And then that in turn causes us to be the same in every area of life, especially in the area of our life we spend most of our time. To then become. A fountain and that starts with working with conviction and a couple ways to do that yo pray 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 for the people you work around whether that's your co-workers the people your company serves people you interact with on your job pray for them not necessarily euro step Jesus juking people like I did at the GNC but as people talk like, yo, write that down. And actually, in your quiet time at home that night, pray for them. Pray for the things people share with you in passing. And then check in a week later. Yo, you say your mom was like, how's she doing? Work with conviction. And then also pray for opportunities to share Jesus with them explicitly in the right way. Pray. And then also be honest about your convictions. Right? Some of us, maybe as we've been going through this sermon series, you are starting to feel a little convicted. You're like, yeah, I definitely turned up a little bit too much at the last happy hour. It was a fun time. But now you're like, ah, really, I should be working with more conviction, more excellence, okay. And now how do I do that after I've, ah, it's a little, it seems a little uh, contradictory, hypocritical. But see, as Christians, if we are in relationship with a gracious God, we need to be the first ones to model the very grace we call ourselves needing. That also means being the first to acknowledge when you've dropped the ball at work or it was your fault at work the project deadline didn't get met. And being able to ask for forgiveness and and move forward we should be able to be the ones who are unafraid to be imperfect because we know it is only by our imperfection that Jesus saves us. You know, God can't save perfect people. 1 <laughs> Timothy, right? Because of our ignorance and unbelief, God gives us mercy. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1:12 through 16. Because of your ignorance. Model that grace that you need. And then also work with excellence. Again, I can't tell you all your individual job titles, but I can tell you this. Good at your work, good witness for Jesus. Bad at your work, bad witness for Jesus. It's really simple math. It really is. I can promise you that. Being good at your job also makes you a fountain. It makes you somebody worth listening to. It makes you someone that other people want to come to, right? Maybe you master the new thing on your team that's going on right now and, and that new task that everybody's struggling with that everybody hates, like, oh, we got to do this now. But you become the expert at it. And now people come to you like, yo, how did you, how did you do that? Why is it easy for you? Because you're working with excellence, right? And and here's this lie that I believe that, like, just my work in and of itself was not enough. Just me going to work and showing up and doing a good job was not glorifying to God enough. But in Isaiah 6, we see that that is not true. Isaiah chapter 6, starting in verse 2, it says, The seraphim were standing above him, as he's, like, angelic, Heavenly creatures. The seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings. With two they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. With two they flew. And one called to another Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. The whole earth is full of his glory. You see, just by looking at the earth, being the earth, just watching the earth earthing. They could see the glory of God. You know, just as you go and do what you do at work, God gave us work. Genesis 2.15, he put Adam in the garden to work it and keep it. Just as you go to work and you do so earnestly and honestly unto the glory of Jesus, that is glorifying to God because there is this God-given potential in work. God works and God gave you work. Because work is a natural extension of who you are. It's not the extent of who you are, but your work is an extension of who you are as an image bearer of God, as a child of God. And so just doing so very well does honor him. Your work has value apart from you. And so when you go to work, there is already God-given potential waiting to be drawn out by you But here's the thing if your coworkers don't even want to work with you why would they want to worship with you Nobody yearns to learn from the worst person in the office I promise you that Like please tell me more about how you miss all the project deadlines I would love <laughs> to just know what you're up to because you never get it done How how are you still here And surely they're not going to be like, (laughs) when you're like, I've got the keys to life, actually. I've got real living water. They're not going to be like, please tell me more. I've been waiting to learn more from you, actually. I've been waiting to know what else you know. (laughs) What else is in that brain? But here again, working backwards, in the midst of this woman, doing a bad job. And, and, and I say that, actually, let me show you something real quick. So I, I believe she wasn't working with excellence. And I'm not, I don't think I'm picking on her, but... So the first thing, Jesus asks her for a drink. And she just immediately gets defensive. Like, why would you ask me for a drink of water? Like, what? You a Jew. Like, I'm Samaritan. Like, why are you... We don't even, like, rock with each other like that. Like, why would you ask me for a drink of water? And, like, you know... People get defense super defensive at work just because you ask them to do, like, just just say you're bad at your job, okay? Like, don't, you're doing a lot right now. Um, (laughs) But she got super defensive. And, like, so to me, I'm thinking, also, she mentioned that the well was really deep. She, like, made intent to say it was deep, which means... Again, that maybe it was difficult to draw water from this well. It was an arduous process already, but then that this well was so abundant meant that it was probably a difficult well to draw water from. And so here she is struggling, and she also shows up at noon, right? Verse 6 says, Jesus worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. So we see she's struggling at her job, and not only that, she shows up at the time the outcasts show up. And that's why the author intentionally put that detail in there, that it was about noon. Because the well was the job, or drawing water from a well was the job of young women in the family at this time. And so all the young women from the town would come to the well around the same times. They would either go early in the morning in the cool of day or early in the evening in the cool of day when it was still safe, light, but not blazing hot. But we all know when we walk out of second service, it's hot outside because it's like 12 to 2 p.m. That time frame is just hot. And so that's not the time you would go to, to draw water. But then it also became a social thing because all the men, young men in the area knew when the young women would be there. So then they would show up, you know what I'm saying, too. And it would just become a whole little gathering. So to come at noon would have intentionally meant I'm coming because I don't want to be seen. Because I'm not good at this. And because socially I'm just unacceptable. I'm unwanted in this place. And you see that Jesus tells her whole rap sheet after the passage I read for you. He's like, "Um, go get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. He's like, you're right. And the one you with now ain't your husband. And he tells her whole rap sheet kind of, he really, he he leans in a little bit. And um, you see that there's something going on in her life that makes her feel unworthy, that makes her feel unwanted. But there's also something going on in her life. She is unable to hide from the fountain of living water. But still, he says this in verse 7. Give me a drink. Give me a drink. And when he said that, again, it wasn't this ploy, this, this juke, this euro step to get to some gospel presentation. No, it was a bid for relationship. It was a bid to know. Right? When he said, If you knew, it was a bid to to know who he is, verses 6 and 7, to rely on Jesus, verses 11 through 13, and then also become like him, verse 14. A bid for relationship, not a ploy. And isn't that the gospel? That God, in his grace and in his majestic love could take the worst person at the office and turn them into a fountain of living water by the power of the Holy Spirit. So see people at your job, like Jesus, coming to you, saying, give me a drink. Give me a drink. I'm out of time, so I'm going to end with this story. I did a little bit better than a GNC story that I told you to start this message. Um, so I was working at another small corporation, and uh, one of the owners was this like six-five, very just like burly and aggressive Jewish man who was definitely really good at his job and successful, but just also like had a reputation for being just mean. He would get foam out the mouth, literally foam out the mouth angry at people we worked with or at customers of ours and it was always just like whoa okay all right um we're going there right now with this customer okay and so that just was how we operated and I remember one day I came in about two minutes late or so you know not really late late but I was two minutes late and I walked and I tried to just like sneak by and he was like Brandon come here and I was like dang so we walk I'm like walking behind him going to his office like all right, the door closes. He turns around, and I see that his eyes are welling up with tears. And I was like, "It's not that serious." It was two. <laughs> it was two minutes, bro. No one's even here. Like you're old, in like you really are. And he actually doesn't go in on his regular time as money speech, but instead this time, he with a welted voice, just says to me, Brandon, I want to know if you would pray for me. One of my friends is just going through a tough, tough time. And we just don't know what to do. And, and, and I don't know anybody who prays, but I bet from our interactions that you do, would you pray for me right now? And I put my hand on his shoulder and I pray. Especially because I was happy that I wasn't getting written up. I was like, I will definitely pray for you right now. And I walked out of there not really thinking much. Again, just happy I didn't get in trouble. But then our interactions over the course of time, I wound up being the only person at that corporation who was promoted that wasn't in their family, their biological family. And they they trusted me with more moments like that over the course of our relationship. And, And I wondered why that was. And I think it was because I worked with excellence and conviction. You see, here was this person that I was able to impact, and I would have never been able to impact them if I just wasn't good at my job. One, because I would have got fired. Very cutthroat environment. But then two, that was all this person really cared about at the time was money. And so excellence brought me in proximity to these people. But then I also needed conviction because that I worked with conviction and he would watch me in in the break room when everybody's pulling out their phones and showing all sorts of stuff, honoring my biblical convictions. He also knew I was somebody he could come to in that moment. That he could trust with information and care. He knew that there was something different, that I might have some some different type of of water to provide as a fountain. But you need both. Because excellence without conviction leaves you a selfish fountain with the ability to, to pour into nobody but yourself at work. And then conviction without excellence well, that just leaves you like me at GNC without the proximity to really make an impact in somebody's life. You might feel good about yourself here. You might be able to pat yourself on the back like, oh yeah, I honored Jesus today. But without the excellence, you are void of the proximity needed for transformation. But when you do both, you begin to come that that fountain that's not chasing, that's not hiding, that's connected to the true fountain and becoming a well, becoming a fountain yourself. Just like the woman at the well, after Jesus' gracious invitation, she becomes that fountain. In verses 39 through 42, it reads, Now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said. When she testified, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said and they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said since we have heard for ourselves and know this really is the savior of the world. You see, my hope for you is that people that you work around would would see the excellence with which you work and that they would know and experience the conviction that causes you to work with that excellence and that they would run to Jesus and proclaim, this really is indeed the savior of the world. I'm going to pray. God, we love you. So very much, you are the Savior of the world, not just our world, of the whole earth, God. We trust you with our work. We look to you as we work, Lord God, as we go on Monday, or hopefully some of us have a holiday, Lord God, but on Tuesday, Lord God, and pray that the way we worship you would cause us to pour out as we're there. In Jesus' mighty name.